Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. This week on Zach on Film, we're watching The Birth of a Nation. I was going to make birthing jokes, but then I watched the movie and I got really sad. So now we're going to talk about racism and film theory and the Klan this week on Zach on Film. Hello, Zach. Hello, Stephen. Released in uh, 1915 by D.W. Griffith. Birth of a Nation. Yes. Originally released, originally called The Klansman, mm-hmm. went on to become one of the highest grossing movies of all time until Gone with the Wind knocked it off yeah. the shelf. I believe still considered still the highest the, grossing yeah. silent film of oh, all yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely that. Although, hmm, may have to go back and do some recalculations because the artist... The artist? The artist isn't completely silent, though. Oh, uh, yeah, true. true. Until right there at the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. It is. If you haven't seen The Artist, go watch The Artist. Really, That's okay. Really I've been told to watch The Artist about six times by Zach, Steven. you haven't watched The Artist No, I still yet. haven't watched it yet. I knew there was sound at the end. Okay, so next week you're going to be watching The Artist, and here's why. Uh, don't don't I'm go, fine. Don't I'm go, fine. Uh, uh, because here's here's the thing. He, he's, he reacts that way to every movie. I don't know why he's even a show. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, too. I've seen the numbers. Uh, oh snap! <laughs> wow! Uh, Bam! Hurtful. Here's Woo. here's the thing. When See, most Zach, people it's think, not as funny when he turns on you too. <laughs> when most people think of silent films, they think of moving mouth and then a card that tells you what they're saying, saying, right? Yep. And then you cut back to the other person saying what they're saying, and then a title mm-hmm. card, etc. That's really not the case in silent films, uh, and especially what DW is doing here, where mm-hmm. he is saying, "Here's the situation." Watch it play out, and you can put the words into uh, the mouths of the actors who you want, or you can watch them act and sometimes overact, uh, as is the case in many films of this time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get to really – you get drawn into the story and your own interpretation of what's going on in those scenes. Now, granted, there's a point, and there are specific things that are going in uh, to the scenes. But you would have a good time contrasting Birth of a Nation with the artist uh, because – they tend to do a lot more word things in uh, The Artist, mm-hmm. but there is also a moment at the climax of the film that I say is more powerful than anything in Birth of a Nation. Oh, wow. And it's one title card, and it's the editing of that title card. In mm-hmm. the, the specific, you, You've seen Artist, right? No. You haven't? No. Oh, my gosh. You guys, I think, are going to get a kick out of this. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I just yeah, I've always wanted to. And then, but... then, the, then the big... Um, sound bit at the end is also very surprising. But mm-hmm. there's two points in there when I was watching this film, I was like, "Oh no!" And then I was like, "Oh my god, they played me just perfectly using the silent film." Nice. And that's kind of what happens in Birth of a Nation. We are told through a play called The Klansman, um, from the Civil War to Reconstruction, what is happening in the South, and essentially we are playing the audience to show them. In this in this story, how great the clan are. Now we're all going to say right up front, the clan are not good. Right. No, no. This this movie is uh, terrible in a, for a lot of reasons. One, it, it it's basically it chronicles the rise to power in a completely 
like fictionalized. Yeah, yeah, in a completely mm-hmm. revisionist way, the mm-hmm. rise of, of power to power of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, it has f- from the beginning, from beginning to end, constantly people in blackface. Right. Yep. Um, so assume from here on out that any time that we uh, talk about um, editing techniques or talk about the strengths of this movie that we're also throwing in a little bit, which will get repetitive if we keep doing it, except for all the damn people in blackface. Right. Um, I think, and again, I'm going to quote uh, Roger Ebert on this, mm-hmm. and this kind of puts into perspective why this movie is significant. Um Roger Ebert said, The Birth of a Nation is not a bad film because it argues for evil, which it clearly does. Right. Okay? And I added the, as it clearly does myself. Uh, Ebert goes on to say, Like Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will, it is a great film that argues for evil. Right? Birth of a Mm. Nation is not a bad film because it argues for evil. Like Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will, it's a great film that argues for evil. So it's not that, and, and again, we mentioned Riefenstahl last week, I think, on uh, Zach on Film, yeah. or the last installment of Zach on Film, because what she's doing for documentary and propaganda is brilliant. And even today, there are people, when you're talking about marketing and propaganda, will look at Triumph of the Will and say, here's how you take an evil man like Hitler and the Nazis, and you make them icons in this piece. Griffith is doing that as well. Here he's telling you a story... But through that story, he's saying, yeah, look at how awful these people are. And really, he's we'll get to the title cards here in a minute. Um, But we're seeing the rise of the clan Mm -hmm. and we're seeing everything that causes this one central character to become the creator and the head of the clan. Um, But at the same time, the techniques that Griffith uses are, I mean, if you're looking for origin point, if you are looking for uh, patient zero, Mm -hmm. Birth of a Nation can be looked at as patient zero for everything that comes before. Yep. The use of the fade and the dissolve and the pan. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, I argued with a long time ago, Zach, is that, yes, and we've talked about this many times on one of our other podcasts, the Major Spoilers podcast, that you need to have an appreciation of where things come from. Yeah. To really kind of know where you're at today and why you use these techniques. And here we're seeing the origins of those techniques being used in film. Now, granted, you had uh, Eisenstein and, and others mm-hmm. uh, doing stuff um, and doing a lot of the similar stuff. But here, Griffith really mashes it together it, into something yes. that is epic on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Years, decades ahead of its time. And I think that, that it really does raise a very big question and a question that we need to address in Zach on Film. And that question is... Can we appreciate a truly great piece of cinema with which we completely disagree or possibly even virulently want to slap around? Well, I mean, that's not just necessarily in film. Uh, Let me go back and just finish up this Ebert quote really quick. To understand how it does so is to learn a great deal about film and even something about evil, right? Mm -hmm. So can you appreciate something, Matthew, even though the creator or the story may be distasteful, right? I think, well, from from my uh, for, perspective. Sure, go ahead. I, again, I, I like to say that I don't like to give advice because advice implies that I am A, either smarter than you or B, that you think like me. And in the first case, it's probably not true. And in the second case, I'm really sorry if it is true. For me, not only can I, I think I kind of have to 
Because if you look at a really brilliant, compelling film that argues something that you disagree with, it can put you, it can create an empathy for why the people who believe what they believe do think that way. This, this is a perfect example mm-hmm. of that, because through the film, you see why the little colonel, mm-hmm. everything that he goes through, his frustrations, mm-hmm. his anger about yeah. losing the Great War, about being put down, and then, of course, in the story, um, the black population is given superiority over the, the white population, mm-hmm. and it drives him angrier and angrier and angrier. And, right, and right, eventually right. there's a personal yeah, yeah, aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, vendetta that goes on to it. And so from the way the story is told, there's a logical A to B to C to K, KK, in how this is put together. But, you know, you do bring up a good point, Matthew, because I am a huge fan of the Cthulhu mythos, right? Mm -hmm. And I really like a lot of Robert uh, um, Howard's writing. Right. Problem is, this guy's an inc- uh, oh, H.P. Lovecraft. I'm sorry, H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Um, I'm a huge fan of his writing. The problem is, Lovecraft, incredible racist, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, going on and going into his books and saying derogatory things about races of people, you know, sure. the filthy blank and the dirty mm-hmm. hoo-ha, you know, all these things that are yeah. just, you read it and you're like, oh my God. But then you get into the greater, look at how he's constructing a story mm-hmm. and look right. at how he's taking all of these individual stories and creating a giant mythos. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to appreciate that, right, Rodrigo? I think I think it's always a, a thorny issue. And what it comes down to is that everybody uh, absorbs media differently. Right. For mm-hmm. some people, the context in which the media is written is hugely important. You know, that's why we have shows like Entertainment Tonight. Assuming Entertainment Tonight's still on the air, I don't know. It, it is. is. Uh, well, there you go. You know, because people want to see the celebrities that play the characters they like, and that's important to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For some people, like me, I mean, it's a it, it usually takes me forever to realize somebody's a racist uh, jerkwad, mm-hmm. because I usually don't research, uh, do a lot of research into authors or whatever. And then when I finally, I'm like, oh, hey, I read this comic by this guy. They're like, have you heard of what that guy says about gay people? I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, to a certain degree, especially for like the four of us who are critics, I mean, we're media critics. We work on a website where Mm -hmm, we read stuff and then we give our opinion on it. A lot of the time it's important to separate yourself from that stuff so you can give the formal aspects of what you're reading a fair shake. Yeah. On the other hand, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that everybody needs to do that. Certainly any sort of connection that you have to the context of this. Exactly. Um, is still mm-hmm. valid and right. something that has to right. be considered. Sure. The other thing, too, is to kind of keep in mind, Griffith has never been s- said that he's a racist and had all these racist tendencies. He's mm-hmm. taking a work of, you know, a, a play mm-hmm. and adapting it into uh, a feature-length film, one of the longest feature-length films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the same time is saying, can't we all just get along? Wouldn't you all rather live up in heaven as opposed to living under the tyranny of this demonic thing at the end of the movie. Yeah, that was really weird. Um, and he even goes so See, far because in the initial release of the movie, it didn't have the opening title cards where he was basically saying, hey, even though this is a... An appeal an, to art. Yeah, yeah he's basically yeah. saying, yeah, this stuff is not popular. This is not popular thought, <clears throat> um, but here's art. And take it with that in mind, that this is a creation of art. And he's but, And I see that as him using it out as saying... 
all right, don't look at this as just racist propaganda. Look at yeah. it as the art that it is. And there were so many critics that – or I shouldn't say critics. There were so many people that had problems with this being a racist-themed movie mm-hmm. – that he went then and created an intoler- intolerance, which really yeah. talks about, well, how does prejudice and how does intolerance uh, arise? And he takes it through these different chapters throughout history mm-hmm. to show how these things happen. And he's trying to, I don't know, white guilt his yeah. way out of out of uh, the issue. Well, Here, here's, here's somewhere I came down on after watching this movie and thinking about it some, that, yes, The Birth of a Nation is a work of art, but you have to... I mean, okay, so what what consideration does an artist have to give to the larger implications of what he's creating? Because That's a great question. <clears throat> I think there's uh two movies out right now um that are smaller movies. One's called The Dirties, oh, with right. Kevin it, Smith. Right, and then the other one's called The Blue Caprice, mm-hmm. which is about the Washington DC snipers. Mm-hmm. And you could look at those movies and say, "Oh, they're presenting a sympathetic sympathetic viewpoint to People who commit school shootings, right, and right. people who commit uh, mass shootings, like the snipers in DC. Right. But I think what those ones are doing is a somewhat accurate retelling in something. But this is more bending history. Yeah, and this yeah. is really, so. I, I think mean, Rodrigo made a good point uh, the other day when we were talking about this film. The first hour of the film mm-hmm. is. It's, it's pretty close to a faithful retelling, I, again, with a fictionalized, you know, if you look at a fictionalized main character, mm-hmm. right? basically takes you from beginning to end through the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you know, thinking, going into this movie, and I had only ever seen excerpts of it, I'd never right, watched right, the right. whole thing, and I still haven't because I didn't manage to watch the last half hour because my iTunes subscription expired, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or the, my rental. Um, but... Uh, Going through this movie, I was actually surprised because I expected it to be hugely racist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the fact that it gives the North a fair shake, the mm-hmm. fact that it gives Lincoln, like it actually really lauds Lincoln. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, you know, basically the movie plays it as it's his murder that then creates, I guess, this alternate timeline <laughs> in which all these things actually happen, which they clearly didn't. Right, right, right. right. And even, I mean, even the one of the fictionalized protagonists is supposedly based on an actual uh, personage right. in the first yeah. half of the story, from what I understand. But I, I, I think that what you really get down to when you when you get into that second half of the film, when it kind of turns into, and later was used as kind of a marketing and recruiting film for the Ku Klux Klan and, you know, right. really, really romanticizing the uh, the formation thereof, you kind of get to a point where we, we talk about this a lot. We're like, Zach, did you love this film? Yeah, I loved it. Did you analyze it? Maybe not so much. And I have a huge problem with if I love a film, I don't necessarily analyze. I get really engrossed into it. The second half of this film gave me a chance to really disconnect from the narrative because the narrative was saying things that I'm just right. like a uh, yeah. hundred yeah. years down the line. I, I no, not no. But again, Dude, as Ebert, as Ebert is saying, here is a movie that's showing you how to make a propaganda film. Yes. Right. Just yeah, like, how to just like trying for the will, will is mm-hmm. how, how do you take and make the Ku Klux Klan sympathetic in this story? And you have to show them 
riding in and saving the day away from those horrible people as the way the the movie comes out. Mm -hmm. And it's real funny because – so the music in this is just – the one that uh, Rodrigo and Zach and I watch was the iTunes rental one. And um, uh, Birth of a Nation is in the public domain, so anybody could get a copy of this and sell it themselves and do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the one that we watched had public domain music in it Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to the original score, which is somewhat problematic. But as we're into about middle of Reconstruction, I'm like – and as soon as the the little colonel discovers, oh, well, here's how I can get back at these people by dressing in these white sheets, and they start Mm -hmm. riding around, I'm like – Oh, wouldn't it be kind of funny if they put Ride of the Valkyrie mm-hmm. in here to mm-hmm. really cement – because there's this point in the film towards the end where um, a Union – former Union soldiers and uh, Confederate soldiers are holed up in this house. And the mm-hmm. title card is uh, the North and the South once again come together to preserve their Aryan heritage or something like that. Birthright. And that uh, – the Aryan birthright. And I was like, oh my gosh. At this point, we need to throw in a, another racist who uh, wrote uh, opera uh, Wagner. and Wagner. throw in Wagner. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the big battle starts, here comes Ride of the Valkyrie. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, it's all complete right there. Yes. I actually saw, because um, I this is miraculous, I discovered completely by accident, there is a lending library at my current place of employment. Oh, cool, and man. it is tied to the Topeka Shawnee County Public Library. And I checked, and I'm like, uh, do you guys have Birth of a Nation? They actually sent me, in an inner office memo, in two mm-hmm. hours, the it's Kino Classics. It's yeah. a Blu-ray. So I had to watch it on the, on the PlayStation. But it, it's the Blu-ray three-disc edition, which may be the same thing that you guys saw. It was like... It might have been. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But, this was not a restored copy. I mean, this has got... I mean, it's got dust and... Yeah, I would. I, although I would be surprised if even if even if the yeah. restored copy. Well, because I I, I, I didn't watch on iTunes. Well, I watched a, it. On there's Amazon. literally a there's literally a piece where you can see the dust trapped in the projector. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. that was restored, they would have uh, gone in and removed that out because there's a pretty noticeable bit where it's in there. And the place where they had to retape the film where it broke, mm-hmm. they would have gone in and cleaned that up in right. a real true restoration, so you could see this how it was. Maybe I, nobody wants to truly rest yeah. restore. Uh, maybe not. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it is. You know, it's interesting well, because it's been listed as probably the most um, uh, important movie by the National Archives because of its historical significance, mm-hmm. uh, just the fact that it's this movie. And even on Rotten Tomatoes, it's rated by the the critics, not the fans, right. as 100% positive mm-hmm. in that it's this is a movie that has some very important things happening in it outside of the story mm-hmm. that deserve some recognition into it. I think I think that uh, formally speaking, if Birth of a Nation teaches you one thing is how to compose a shot. Well, mm. yes, because every every shot is a little tableau mm-hmm. and all of them are like there's levels yep. and there's depth. Mm-hmm. It's just like mm-hmm. if you uh, don't mind sitting through three hours I, I, of, know, to be of honest, terrible racist stuff like mm-hmm. watching three this, hours, 13 minutes and seven seconds. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I think if people wanted to get I mean, it just they if your stomachs are totally going to be turned by. The racism and the lifting up of the KKK. If that's really going to be a problem for you, watch the first hour. True. Sure. Yeah. Just sure. just watch the Civil War part. Yeah. You don't have to watch Reconstruction, although, although Reconstruction although, although, is although, the part that is the most controversial. Although, again, just to throw in, even through the first part, you will yeah, see yeah. people yeah. in blackface. Right, right, right. And the, and the people in blackface will be portrayed 
as subhuman. Pretty much. Or at yeah, least yeah. of yeah. subhuman intellect, which is problematic throughout the film. Yeah. Um, and I think it, if you look at it, though, you know, you, I don't like the argument of, well, it's just something of its time. Because that's no. kind of like making an excuse for no, of its no. time. No, no, no. And also, you know, 1915. I don't know what 1915 was like. But I think as you go through Woodrow here, Wilson was in the White House. He was in black and white. I don't, I don't know anything The world was in black and white. Uh, Apparently 19, scratchy. 1915, yeah. um, kids had those shoes where you pumped them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, That's right. Everybody, that's right. Hulk, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Was on the kinescopes. In every arcade. In every Nickelodeon. World War One uh, was going on. Was it? In 1915, July 1. The Royal Navy battleship HMS uh, Formidable is sunk off uh, Formid- England. Lost 547 people. Battle of Broken Hill in New South Wales. I will say there, there are, in the very first couple of scenes of this movie there are two things that stick with me and have always stuck with me i actually first saw this movie like 23 years ago yeah we watched it and i was class. lucky enough Ugh. that uh, it was just finishing up this week uh the, that first showing <laughs> it is in fact 20 and a half years long so i got in for the last hour but the the first opening sequence where they're like we meet congressman stoneman watty-do-da and they cut to him with his daughter. And I saw that and I thought two things. I thought, my God, a hundred years later, Lillian Gish is super beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're talking in the silent film. And I don't know what they're saying. And it was <laughs> maddening. Because, you know, when I think silent film, I think someone goes, you see their mouth move. And then you see the card that shows the dialogue. But they didn't do that at that, that point in time. They're like, er, what, are, what did she say? Right, I right, wish right. I could read lips. She's Can you like, imagine how long this movie would have been if they would have put a title card? Oh, yeah, it would have been impossible. It would have been impossible to get through. Yeah, well, presumably. I, I, I'm pretty sure. And you can see, by the way, they, they shot it. Like, a lot of the little dialogue stuff looked really improvised, mm-hmm, I thought. Right. You know, mm-hmm. basically, back in those days, and we've yeah. talked about this, we've talked right. about when they started basically Just actually script. writing out scripts. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Back in those days, they were like, okay, here's a scene. Here's what's supposed to happen. Go. Right. And then, regardless of how it turns out, that's, that's how we're doing it right. because film's expensive. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And, you know, he started shooting this in 14. It showed. I mean, it was in theaters in 15. So you look at this. This is 300 minutes or whatever it is. I don't know. 377 years worth of film. Took him a year. And this, you know, this this thing that we see, that final version, today, it takes them a year oh, to actually, you know, clear the footage. Yeah, but I mean, there's you know? there's so much, especially in restoration, towards the end where it's like, okay, you can make use of some more editing here. Because yeah. it's just like, oh. let's show the two-mile-long mm-hmm. stampede of the Klansmen. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and that's the thing is, some, some of the scenes here are super long. Mm-hmm. And that is partially pacing, partially like just older pacing. Right, right, um, right. Partially, clearly, you have to consider the economy of the film. And I don't mean the narrative economy of the film. I mean having to sit down with a freaking razor blade and cut mm-hmm. things and splice them together. Mm-hmm. Um, it would just take too long. I think a lot of the time, if a move, if, if a scene was not so long that you fell asleep during it, they just left it that way. Yep. 
So, Zach, I guess going back to the question, I don't know if we got an answer from you. Can you still appreciate a work of art even though the person who created it or the subject matter may be unappealing or reprehensible or, in this case, racist? Yeah. Oh, I can because, I mean, I did. I ended this movie. I was like, wow, that was horrible, but wow, that was so was, well. That was, was so, so well put together. Yeah, it was so good. There's a there's another movie that they did not too long ago, and I forget what it's called. The United the UCA, the United Confederate America, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's basically the same thing. What would happen if the South had won the Civil uh-huh. War, and how would politics and everything change? And they do it from a kind of a flashback historical um, documentary. Mm-hmm. It's really awful. I mean, it's really, yeah, really yeah, worse yeah. than uh, than well, anything that's here. I, I watched an hour of it and I was like, I got to turn this off because this is really terrible. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's actually on Netflix. It is. On, it is. It is. A lot of people laud it because of the way it's taking a revisionist approach to history, but also a, a historical approach to history saying, here are these things that happened and how they would have been different under this different kind of government. Right, right. Um. But I'm glad that you can still appreciate uh, work of art for what it is. Yeah. Um, like the art, hate the artist. Or sure. in this case. Sure. The message. Yeah. Hate yeah. the message, yeah. but still like the art and like the creator. What I found really fascinating about reading it was after, uh, reading about the movie and the fallout oh, afterwards. I thought after you meant out. literally reading. No, 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 no. Because you do. Um, you do have to read during the movie. Yeah, yeah. That. He apparently didn't understand the racism that was in it and that people had to point it out to him mm-hmm. after it was shown. And then he's like, and then he got really upset that he actually did any of that and then like cut out. I think he went back and edited parts where the clan is completely out of the movie after it started getting like banned from cities and Chicago wouldn't show it. And, mm-hmm. Or no, Chicago, did Chicago show it? Yeah, Chicago, Chicago showed Kansas it because and... Denver didn't show it. Yeah, Kansas yeah, City yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. show it. A bunch of cities didn't show and, it. Yeah. yeah. And, there and there even, were riots in places where they did. Right. Even though it was banned in so many cities, it's still, for that time period, yeah. $10 million that it made. <sighs> I mean, and granted, now, keep in mind too, this is something that we've talked about before where um, Lucas and Spielberg foresaw a day where you would go to the theater and you'd spend 50 bucks to go see a movie mm-hmm. just like you would on Broadway and Hollywood. When this movie came out um, in 1915, remember, a lot of movies were just a nickel. Mm-hmm. You had to pay $2.95 to go see Jeez. the movie in 1915 to sit through that three-hour thing, which is the equivalent of – $45 today. I'm pretty sure you will, because you, you have to pay for the orchestra that was playing yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's really kind of crazy. You know, take 295 or whatever that is into $10 million, and that's how many people who saw it in 1915 and in the subsequent couple of years. There weren't that many people in the world in 1915 either. Yeah. Final cost Final cost of the film, $112,000. That's the equivalent to $2.4 in $2,010. Um. His original yeah, budget was $40,000. So there you go. $112,000? $112,000 was the cost of the final film. And you have to think, and we're going to get to this here in just a uh, just a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have to think, everything that's going into that, we have to stage massive Civil War battles. Right. Yeah. Huge we battles. have to go in and, I mean, just the battles themselves. Right. It should have taken forever to, to do. 
Um, you're doing somewhat period costumes, right? right? You got to go back mm-hmm. 30 years, 40 yeah. years for the costumes. But that's the thing. You can just go and, and you know, find the guy who has a box of uniforms. Yeah. yeah. Well, I and mean, I'm sure a lot of that happened. I mean, if you think about it, like nowadays, it would probably be hugely expensive just to have that many horses. Right. Oh, yeah. But back then, more people had horses. Mm-hmm. Maybe they borrowed some. I'm sure just like the maintenance of having to feed yeah. them and stuff was still good. But but, but also, not as many rules. Uh, about what you, uh, yeah, yeah, about what you can and can't do with right. a stripper horse. <laughs> if it really breaks its neck, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. But if you think about, you know, 1915 going back to... The Civil War 1886, is yeah. the equivalent of us going back to 1973, the year that Nixon resigned. That was 40 years ago. So you look at 40 years ago in 1915. 1973 doesn't seem like that long ago. You have to figure that from this perspective, the Civil War happened like yesterday. True, true. There were still yeah, people yeah. around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, in but, fact, yeah. Um, uh, and we'll talk about the color bits here in a minute, too. Mm-hmm. But one of the people responsible for getting the color into it, the, the, the company, uh, he was actually a Confederate soldier, the owner of the company. The father of the owner of the company was a Confederate soldier. And he fronted like a bunch of money to have, mm-hmm. this, to have this done. Interesting. Um, Roger Ebert writes, certainly the birth of a nation presents a challenge for modern art audiences. Unaccustomed to silent films and uninterested in film history, they find this movie quaint not to their taste. Those evolved enough to understand what they are looking at find their early and wartime scenes brilliant but cringe during the post-war and reconstruction scenes, which are racist in the ham-handed way of an old minstrel show or a vile uh, comic pamphlet. That's basically exactly how I felt. That, yes. is a, that is dead solid. Yep. So, um, Zach, who do we have to thank uh, this week for making the show possible? We have a list of fine major spoilers to thank for this show, and that those people would be Russell Cat, Christina Craighead, David Pelich, Raymond <laughs> Kyritus, Michael Feiweger, Royce McWee III, Edwin Adelsberg, Terry Keller, Matthew Kursus, and Tanjingman. And don't forget Ten, Ten uh, Bertha Nathan. <laughs> Nathan. Bertha. Right. Nathan. Adelsberger. Yeah. There's a er. So, what were you going to say, Roderick? Uh, I was going to say, I think our... Uh... Our incentive to start going, uh, to start getting this podcast more listened to in uh, the Netherlands uh-huh. and in um, a few more uh, and in, in Germany and in a few other places that have uh, difficult names to pronounce. Yes, if you have an umlaut in your name. Yes, please. Please <laughs> take this opportunity to uh, to donate at least what, what $10, are we, uh, $10 to, get, to, get, to get to get a name mentioned. Yeah, to get your name mentioned in the show. That's what all it costs. We have, we have, I don't even how to pronounce them. We have a special umlaut deal. <laughs> What's the O and with the hash? Slip slash me a dollar, it? I'll even um, try and pronounce it correctly. It's, it's like a cent sign. It's like a Schoberg. I don't know. <laughs> so there are some... There are some really cool technical aspects of this film. First of all, panning shots, which had not really been done at that time. Yes. Um, Night photography Mm -hmm. is included Mm -hmm. in there. We get to see uh, iris effects, you know, and and the interesting thing about an iris effect is it's there to draw the audience's attention to a specific thing or to show a change from one location to the other. Mm -hmm. And um, Griffith uses this a lot to really focus the viewer's attention. Oftentimes, I think, a little skewed. Well, I, I mean, I think it. I think it's a great example right. of, for example, you know, think about anything: bullet time, mm-hmm. 
um, the Zoom and mm-hmm. things like that is like when this technology breaks, everybody abuses it. Right. So yeah, those, those, yeah, those iris shots, mm-hmm. they linger forever. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, John Wilkes Booth looking all creepy. All John Wilkes Booth at you. That was actually I mean, it, really it takes, good. It takes forever. The murder of Lincoln in that is actually. So well, much yeah, so, the guy, I mean, when you the guy read, actually freaking jumps off yeah, the balcony, yeah. like there weren't stun people back then. <laughs> no, it's really cool because as I'm watching that scene, it's like I remember reading this in history books. Am I sure I didn't see this no. at some point, and that has filtered into my mind because everything that's you read about the Lincoln assassination plays out right there uh, well, for you, the audience, to and see. you see it in the title cards. A lot of these are. Um, recreations of paintings mm-hmm. and a lot of these are kind of uh rec- like historical recreations which is really fascinating because he does take a lot of time to say this scene you're about to watch is based on a historical document that you can find here or this painting that you can find here mm-hmm. and he cites it i mean it's yeah it's yeah. In- interestingly Academically a lot fewer citations as the movie <laughs> yes, goes on as, as there are just the fewer last, yeah. and fewer um yes and I just, I, but I still found that amazing that he's, he's going in and saying, okay, I'm not, you know, today people would say, oh, I'm just paying an homage to this painting. Right. He's going back and saying, here's where I'm lifting this scene from. Right, yeah. right. Well, you know, the rules hadn't been written. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and to a certain degree, I mean, like, and, and again, the, the little insidious things about this movie mm-hmm. is that it very much paints itself. The first half very much paints itself as a historical right. reenactment, yeah. right, right, basically. Yeah. And that's why the second half is so powerful is because they have spent all this time showing their work and then when they stop you don't notice anymore right 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 mm-hmm. yeah um this movie did have its own musical score written for an orchestra and i guess that's the one thing that i wish i would have seen in this is that original score because mm-hmm. i would have liked to have seen how they're using music or if music was really thought of of enhancing the story because here in the version that the three of us watched matthew mm-hmm. did you have right of the valkyrie at the end in yours mm-hmm. so it may be we're all watching the same version um, mine was the, the 2002 yeah i think that's the, the one that we saw too yeah. yeah um but you know it's so ham-fisted and throwing that in and everything but i would have liked to have seen this movie with the original uh orchestration the original score mm-hmm. to just see how different your feelings would have been in seeing that mm-hmm. i kind of liked the, the uh the music thrown in because i was singing oh christmas tree through part of the movie <laughs> yep they <laughs> do. it does have yeah. it does have like oh tannenbaum and it has um it has a lot of like i mean it has a lot yeah. of old standards and a lot of right. old american standards right right yeah but in 1915 and music hadn't been really invented well. yet so <laughs> yeah well the, certainly recorded music was problematic wouldn't we have been going to you know the the theater and having just a local pianist. pianist it depends. Yeah. It depends on where you were at at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, Birth of a Nation, huge release. So well, but again, if you were think probably about going it, to larger houses to go see the, it, yeah, they? the only place you probably could have seen it was in a huge movie palace right. on one of the coasts. Because as 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 Zach had mentioned, there was a lot of stuff in the mid region of the United States, and and uh, that this movie was banned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and places where it started, um, uh, fights. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I was looking up real quick, Matthew, the gramophone. Gramophone. And, 
Listening to the sound of his master's voice. The phonograph <laughs> cylinder would have come out in uh, prior to this, but the phonograph would yeah. have been out by the 1920s. So we're still in an era where there could have been a recording, but certainly uh, 1877 I, is the list date for Ed- Edison um, probably co-opting the phonograph. It seems. It really seems to me <laughs> exactly. like the moment <laughs> hatred about uh, Edison. <laughs> the the moment that they tried to like move that to another theater, it would have just been completely scratched. Oh yeah, as, yeah, as, oh, yeah. You know, probably broken easily. Yeah. But so what you would have had is if you could have afforded an orchestra, you would have had that score and you would have had everybody play it. But as Matthew's uh, alluding to, that as you got to a smaller and smaller um, theater, you might just have a piano player. Yeah, uh, cousin cousin everything. Jethro. Yeah, mm-hmm. be playing it, but. To some degree, you have to ask yourself, you know, if you, if I, and I honestly, I don't know. I don't recall if I've ever heard this. Would they have sent like a libretto around or would it be just some guy playing whatever he wants to fit the sequences? I, I would be, I would be willing to bet that there was, because on the uh, film, it talks about the like additional materials. Mm-hmm. So I bet mm-hmm. you they sent all of these packages. Oh, yeah. Cause it said, yeah, if you want to see who these actors are and everything, yeah, refer to this. Interesting. If you're wanting to see these things, refer to this. And a playbill was still a very big right, thing. Right, yeah. Um, one of the, you know, one of those things that films eventually moved away from. Mm-hmm. But again, if you think about alternate realities, like they wouldn't have to. I mean, it, it wouldn't be crazy for us to go to movies and them just handing us a pamphlet right. of who yeah. this Matt Damon guy is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that would um, actually be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know we got- if we go back and look at some of the, again, in the uh, 60s, 70s, you would have had those kinds of things where, you know, Mad, Mad, Mad World had a pamphlet that uh-huh. went with the movie so you could read about what was going on and the making of and mm-hmm. everything like that. Uh, so it's not, I mean, it's just probably just been phased out because of a cost right, right. issue oh, sure. and people throwing it on the floor and littering sure. up the theater and blah, 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 blah. They don't yeah, recycle it. Just, just not cost effective. They wouldn't recycle it like they do with their 3D glasses. Yeah. Speaking of recycling, I don't know if you guys have ever worked with uh, film stock. I actually foolishly uh, worked. It wasn't a theater per se, but I worked with uh, projection in uh, college. And this this would have been the the nitrate stock, which explodes which I think is pretty awesome. And apparently this film, when it came to the theaters, was 12 separate reels of film. It would have to be. So, so your projection is reel is about 10 minutes long, 8 reel. to 10 minutes long. Yeah. Just, and that is just ridiculous yeah. to me. Imagine, you know, we saw this movie, I think all of us in, in some form of digital format, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, and it was already long. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine mm-hmm. like, Pop out the reel, slide the next one in, fit it in, do the little. Well, that's like, why your projectionist thing. is going to be real busy swapping those out. Yep, this yep, would have, yep. yeah, the, a twelve reeler that would have been pretty big. Yep, because yeah. you know most that adds, comedies that adds like an additional half hour to mo- the movie. <laughs> mo- most comedies are about a, a one or two reeler, and your feature length mm-hmm. film would be like a four reeler in, in most yeah. days. So to expand that out, that's that's really quite lengthy uh, to yep. get a three hour and ten minutes of of movie in. One of the things that Zach was really impressed with was the use of color in in the movie. Yeah, I was really surprised when my entire screen went red for the first time. And then it was bouncing <laughs> back between yellow and blue and then black and white and purplish colors. And yeah. that is not by accident. That's not time. Yeah. That's actually them going in and tinting the film to give you this reaction of this is night and there's a bonfire going right. on. Or... Here we're supposed to feel a little bit cooler or a little bit warmer, or we're mm-hmm. supposed to feel the dirtiness that is this war. And Griffith going in and actually tinting these in, I want to say intolerance, 
I don't mm. know if it's the crucifixion of Jesus, but he actually went in like frame by frame and painting each frame <sighs> so mm-hmm. that you had a color representation of yeah. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was not uncommon at this time. And I want to say maybe even George Millay had done that a couple of times in some of his I, pieces. I mean, he was an early experimenter yeah. with doing a flash or a boom and would go in and tint or hand paint right. um, certain certain frames to give the audience... That was the, the earliest animation was people drawing right on the frames. Yeah. And so, you know, it's... I can, again, the age of this film... I can really see that being a surprise to people. Of, yeah. Oh, color. Yeah. Right. And it was, I mean, to see a, a film that old and so early recognize the importance of color mm-hmm. and seeing how color can affect people's viewings of certain scenes and how that will affect our, 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 our just general mood coming from a scene. Like almost all the clan things are just like tinted red. Yeah, yeah. Almost all, anytime, not all of them. Anytime there's a fire, generally yeah. it's tinted red. Most of the writing scenes are tinted like a, a light blue is yeah. in there. But anytime that you're in the deep south, and this is really apparent in the first half of the movie, where you're up north, everything is blue. When you're yep. down south, everything has a uh, a, a gold okay, cast, yeah. To yeah. yellow yeah. yellow yeah. Cast, cast to it, and it just continues that way throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, which you're right, it's it's amazing that in 1915. Someone is thinking about color and how color affects a film. And today, people are still so focused on, I'm going to give this a color look. I'm going to give yeah. this a cold look. Or I'm going to mm-hmm. do this mm-hmm. to my film in post-production. And that's when we actually have the film. It, it's color. It's not even black and white. We're not even we're shooting in color. Right, we're right. not going back in and, and dyeing film strips for certain scenes and then, right, right. And then editing them back together. Well, although, yeah, although you know, filters Except it's, it's, nowadays. It's really, yeah. really hard to dye my SD cards. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, we've we've complained about films that are tinted entirely orange or entirely blue in recent years. And by we, I mean me. Yeah. So, Zach, this film is, as I said earlier, that patient zero, the, ze- the, the, the point of impact where we start to see the evolution of modern concepts mm-hmm. uh, being played out. Beyond just the appreciation of, oh, here's when this happened, and here's when this happened, and here's when this happened historically, did you take anything else away from this film? Yeah. I loved, I mean, like, the worst parts of the movie were the end, but some of the parts I enjoyed the most from an editing standpoint and how they did multiple scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. They did the cabin, and they did, like, the city riot Cross-cutting. Yeah, cross-cutting between everything. Um, I, one of my favorite scenes was, it just sounds, uh, yeah, okay, from a standpoint, is when, uh, the man is chasing the girl up the cliff. Right, Gus is chasing Yeah, Gus, the, yeah, that's what his name yeah, is, Gus. Colonel's sister, yeah. That, that scene, I just thought was edited so well, and is kind of like the beginning of, like, that monster chase. Yeah. Almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was, and then I was like, "Well, now where's she gonna go?" I'm like, oh, she's just right, right. she's just gonna fall. She's just gonna jump. Yeah. yeah, let's let's watch that really quick. And then of course she falls what a hundred feet she yeah. falls onto like some rocks, feet. and then she gets up. <laughs> and I was then like, she gets up and is like talking no. to her brother, <laughs> and then dies. Right. Uh, so, it is. Yeah. It is funny because everything's so slow. Like I remember watching that scene, and he's like holding her, and she's like just like mm-hmm. talking to him and stuff. And I was like, "There's plenty of time to get her to a hospital <laughs> if you guys just shut up." <laughs> 
Like, she's still talking, dude. You could have picked her Quit. up and taken her Get to the, the hospital. Helicopter in Especially since the first thing he does is, like, pick her lift up. her up. <laughs> like, oh, that's when she They died. hadn't realized spinal cord injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Back then, but... Uh, uh, we were talking about the iris effect earlier, mm-hmm. and so that would mean you're just closing the iris to make that smaller. Right, right, right. But how was he doing it up in the corner? Mask. Was it just was he just masking mm-hmm. off let's the just, lens? Let's just mask That's what off I the lens and uh, put a piece of duvetine or you know a piece of uh, metal or something in front yeah. of that to, to frame it off, which would be really kind of hard because probably still around this time you don't have the mirror system in place where you're actually seeing through the lens of the camera you're still looking mm-hmm. through a separate viewfinder and trying to align those things up yeah. i don't know i'd have to go back and see when the when that i mean system I, went into place again you know if you look at all the stuff that this movie accomplishes and you consider that film was incredibly difficult to use back in the day i mean you couldn't actually look at what you were shooting mm-hmm. um they pr- you would incur a huge expense if you shot something incorrectly overexposed or some, yeah it. overexposed it underexposed it mm-hmm. you know if there was anything wrong with the camera you couldn't know that that was wrong with it until you got the film back later don't you um, just love your digital age now zach where you can just instantly go hey let me yeah. scroll this back on my little Digital SLR. Gotta shoot that again. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a cable in the shot. Yeah, it, he'll, he'll never know the horror of a nonlinear editing system where never, you're, never. Where you have the the creeping machine that creeps. Yeah, and you set your endpoint. Oh, and I, it think creeps. You mean, I think you the linear a, editor. Linear editor. Yeah, yeah. Zach, so so, didn't you edit? Didn't I make you guys edit linearly in one class where I made you nope. do a tape to tape edit? Shit, uh. Maybe I phase nope. it out. Completely. I had to pull stuff off a tape, which annoyed the piss out of me. I had hey, to. I've had to edit. Don't curse I've had to edit linearly, like maybe twice in my life. Really? And and it was and it was a like, I think it was a digital linear editing system, <laughs> That's the like a news system. bite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, what, what is I think what it was right? called. Yeah. 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 So it made it easy, but still super annoying. I mean, like, and I did, like, I did it when I was an, I was interning for a TV station, and I did it wrong. Like, I, oh. I cut out a whole chunk in the middle of what I was editing, um, and it was only for internal use, right. but it was for internal use by the person who did that report, and so mm-hmm. he go, she goes and she shows it to people, and, like, this whole chunk out of the middle is cut <laughs> out. I got in so much trouble. <laughs> Oh, God. You're terrible, Rodrigo. And I was really bad at it back then. Yeah. Now, a little less bad at it. <laughs> that's good. It is. And that's a good thing about Zach, because eventually he'll be a little yeah, yeah. less yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eventually. Less. Eventually. Um, it is. In, I think about that from time to time, especially when I was thinking about the, the color tinting of the scenes, in that the odds of me really ever shooting anything on film are really low. Pretty, 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 tough pretty now. low. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you would have to work pretty hard to do you it. Would, you would You'd have, have to, to be... get. You to would have studio. to probably yeah. in order to afford it now, or become independently wealthy. Yep. So get to a studio. Either of which is possible. <laughs> Keep buying those lottery tickets. Yep. Yeah. Keep buying stuff through the Amazon link at major spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> and one day we will buy. We will three buy feet a, yes, of film. A roll of film for Zach to shoot. <laughs> we'll three minutes a, on we'll on some, some camera that we the don't leftover, have. What's the leftover? The the short ends or whatever that they're called. Uh, the, the leftover yeah. film stock that's Burnt not ends, used. They call no, that's on your... Uh, that's meat. Yeah. I like burnt ends. <laughs> We've still got that camera that Steven well, strapped to his helmet the, uh, back in 89. No, actually, that, that doesn't exist. Um, 
<laughs> the uh, you could have for film students if they were trying to buy film, what you would buy is the overstock or the the short ends of the of the film where you would run, let's say five minutes of film on this reel. Well, they're not going to expose all five minutes. They're just going to cut that film and they would take the unused portion and mm. they'd resell it as mixed stock essentially. So you might have five minutes of this stock and oh, two minutes really? of this stock, or maybe they're the same film stock, but from different manufacturing dates. So you mm-hmm. could have a slight difference in the mm-hmm. film. With a lot of film students, that's that's yeah. what they'd have to do is buy yep. buy those things and store them in the refrigerator until they had enough film built up to the refrigerator. Yeah, because otherwise yeah. it's going to melt and it's oh, going yeah, to the breakdown. It, the chemicals are going to wow. break down or on the film. It could explode. Can, your, well, I mean, your, nitrate nitrate film went out by yeah, yeah, yeah. 1940s, 1930s. So your Stock would denaturize. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like so much milk. Yep. Spoil. I don't, I don't drink milk. But I have to buy. That well, doesn't change. Well, you don't, like you don't drink film either, do you? <laughs> don't be that guy. Zach. Don't be that. I am guessing that uh, your fiance did not watch this movie. Uh, no. But I ended up because I watched this movie in three sittings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watched it in hour chunks. And she did not, she listened to it while she was doing homework one day. And then she just had to read texts of me like, holy crap, this movie is racist. And then I would like send her pictures of some of the title cards about just the most racist stuff I've ever read. And she's like, wow, this movie is racist. Like, yes, yes, it is. It's very racist. You're not even watching it. You're missing 90, 98% of the racist parts because you're not actually seeing the action. No, but she didn't watch it. Short answer. Short answer. She didn't watch <laughs> no. it. Hmm. Evaluation. Uh, I think. I think Zach uh, himself postulated really probably what's what's the the main question when watching a movie like this. So I'd say that uh, clearly he watched it. Clearly he thought about it, and he analyzed the themes, which is usually what I care about uh, when we have these discussions. So I'd say Zach definitely passes this one uh, in my book. I would agree. Uh, I just give you kudos for making it through the whole thing without saying, screw this. I'm not showing up to class today unprepared <laughs> like so many other students do. Matthew? I got to tell you, man, I, I, I try not to be the guy who's like kids today. But for someone of Zach's generation to do 193 minutes of anything, <laughs> even in multiple sittings, I'm, I'm going to give him a passing grade based on that. Because I remember seeing this when I was roughly your age. And I did not want to sit still for the whole thing. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a grade to me. Weirdly, I got to a point where I was watching it partly during my uh, lunch break today. And I got to, it was about 45 minutes left. I was like, I have to leave now because I know if I keep going, I'm just going to want to sit the rest of mm-hmm. it. So there's a point, the first half, wow, a great showing of technical uh, prowess and stuff was just super boring but then it got to like a faster pace it's like oh okay i'm, I'm, once, getting, I'm getting kind once, of into this now once the fiction kicks in yeah, once, it starts moving a lot yeah, faster once it gets yeah. really more racist the scary thing you know uh, the scary thing and sad thing about this and we've mentioned it multiple times is a birth of the nation has been used as a recruitment tool for the clan mm-hmm. uh, to get members in there um, but what's also scary is as I'm watching this film and I spent a number of years in Atlanta, in and around the Atlanta area, as it was migrating from that uh, Dukes of Hazard type environment to we're going to host the Olympics type environment. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge change going right. on. You have to stop both, jumping 
muscle cars over the creek. Well, but I mean, there's a big change going on in that just region like a, as a far giant as hose of money just like yeah. spraying all over the place. And you're bringing in a lot more people from outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was there as they were getting ready to build up to that. And it was just amazing and appalling how many of those same ideals mm-hmm. are still, and I'm not saying, you know, Atlanta people that live in Atlanta, well, I don't believe that's great. I'm glad you don't. But the person I was with at the time, her grandmother. Rough. Oh yeah. It was rough real times. Rough. Really, really I, rough. She probably I, would have I seen have this. Encountered. She probably would have seen this when it originally came out. So it was, I, I it was tough. Sentiments <laughs> so, like this also recently. old. <laughs> Grandma slam. Yeah. I mean, in, in the year 2013, I have had discussions that are reminiscent of some of the underlying themes of this film. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 there's a point where I literally can have a discussion without having a discussion because I don't want to say anything. And you don't want to, you don't, you, you can't. I mean, it's a workplace scenario. You can't necessarily confront somebody for being an ass, <laughs> but you also don't necessarily want to not <laughs> confront somebody for being an ass. So yeah, I mean, it, when you, when you get into something like this, it's troubling. It's more troubling that, that some of this still exists, that reputedly this was used as a recruiting tool up until the end of the last century for the, the actual Ku Klux Klan, yeah. which to me is one of those things that it, it seems so over the top as to be ridiculous. And yet I can kind of see it. Yeah. And I, 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 I can, I, the, the part of me that believes the worst of human nature can definitely believe that. You know, it's real funny. I mean, I mean, granted, it depends on whether you want to do this or not, but you do some research on the clan. And at one point it was just a huge social organization as opposed to it's like Reddit. lynchings and burnings and all of that kind of well, stuff. Well, that's like that, that, it's, it's more like 4chan. That, that happens with everything, not to not to get uh too current, but right. uh um if you look at the um ideologies of political parties, yes, yes. they sure used to be different. Yes, they sure <laughs> did. Well, everybody just love everybody. And that's gonna end it for this and week. I love the of Zach on film. Uh make sure to head over to majorspoilers.com and find that podcasting posting page and give your thoughts on uh, Birth of a Nation if you sat through it and what you learned and uh, uh, the history therein. Uh, while you're there, Major Spoilers, make sure to click on the Amazon.com shopping link. Or head over to Major, or no, you head over to Amazon.com and do all of your shopping needs. Buy a uh, Blu-ray player, buy Birth of a Nation, buy The Artist next week as yeah, we are watching. Yeah. Uh, none of it will cost any extra to you, but a little bit will come back to us to keep this ship afloat. So next week, like we said, the artist, another silent film, kinda, on Zach on Film. This is your moment. Your moment to move forward and make progress. It's time to see where an education can take you. For over 130 years, Strayer University has been at the forefront of change, offering programs that help students like you get ahead and stay ahead, so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEF.